Welcome to Bringing Reading Back, a podcast where myself and my two co-hosts dive a bit deeper into some of our favorite books, as well as finally crack open a few that have been gathering dust a bit too long on our internal and actual bookshelves. So join us as we hopefully make a few more friends and rediscover our love of reading. And remember, this is not your mother's book club. Disclaimer, there will be spoilers in this and every other podcast episode. Thank you and enjoy. Hello all and welcome to this episode of Bringing Reading Back. I'm Tori, joined by my two co-hosts. Hey, I'm Danielle. And Jade. And what are we what book are we talking about tonight, Tori? Well, today we are actually discussing Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> So this was my pick for the episode, going back to the classic uh, horror genre or the classic romantics literature, you know, um, it's definitely one of the classic horror novels. So this book was written in, or published in 1818 by Mary Shelley, or written by Mary Shelley. She was actually still just a teenager when she wrote this, um probably 18 or 19. She was really young. And of course, this grapples with a lot of strong themes that a lot or not a lot of teenagers could I could write about, I think, um, today. So I find Mary Shelley as an individual just very interesting. And I definitely wanted to get one of her works in here at the beginning. This book was actually a product of a writing contest between friends. Uh, It was Mary Shelley, her husband Perry Shelley, and a few other friends of theirs, uh, including Lord Byron, one of the famous English poets, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, Frankenstein was one of the novels that came out of this contest which my friends have never produced anything (laughs) half as successful in any contest that we've ever had. We are not that cool. (laughs) We are not that cool. Uh, Another fun fact about this group uh, work that manifested out of this contest is actually a short story, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, called The Vampire. Uh, really another initial classic horror work that a lot, it's a short story that a lot of vampire novels or horror novels that came out of that or after that really pulled from. And our understanding of the modern vampire does get a lot from this short story that came out of this contest as well. So these people definitely did produce amazing literature And this group really is important for literature. It's like the super squad of the Romantics era, really the first group of authors in the Romantics era. But really, this is just one of my favorite books. Uh, It has been for a long time. I think I read it when I was 13 or 14, like a little angsty teenager, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely had this preconceived idea when I did first pick up the book but of course it wasn't what I first thought. I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't 
that it didn't live up to my preconceived notions of what the book would be. Uh, what about you guys? Did you guys have any ideas about the book coming into reading it that you were kind of surprised by or or not ex- not surprised by? <laughs> so I was expecting just like instantaneous action. Like as soon as you opened it, it was going to be like, boom, there's this monster. I made it. Fuck yeah. Like freak yeah. Sorry. Um, but then it took me like 60 pages to get into it took me uh, a very hot minute, um, but I learned a new word, like indefatigable. Ooh, what does that mean? Which I love. It's base, indefatigable. So base word is fatigue, okay? So that's its root word. But it essentially just means like worked tirelessly. Hmm. So that's pretty fun. I like to use it now. Um, but after I got into it, like it was, it was really enjoyable and I, I really like how, like, she does the stories within a story. Um, just Walton's story is kind of boring, and it's a little <laughs> long, so. Can confirm. Can confirm. That part is, like, I was the same way, Jade. I definitely, like, it was a little bit harder for me to get into um, than I thought it was going to be. I actually, so whenever I was in high school, I'm pretty sure I read this book. It was this one and then Dracula. Like, I think we read snippets of both. I know we read Dracula all the way through, and I think we read part of this one. But for some reason, like, whenever I picked this up, there was this little piece of me that was expecting, like, almost a young Frankenstein style. Because, like, we have this idea of what Frankenstein is or Frankenstein's monster. So, like, I was kind of thinking about that a little bit. But I definitely, I was definitely glad that it wasn't young Frankenstein in a book. Like, obviously, that's satire. And if you haven't seen the movie Young Frankenstein with Gene Wilder in it, Stop listening to this podcast right now and go watch it because it's amazing. It's an absolute classic. But anyway, yeah, like Jade, I was the same way. I think that it was a little bit hard for me to get into it at first. But whenever I I finally did start getting into it, I actually was listening to it on Audible. I'm sorry, not Audible. I was listening to it on Spotify. I found the uh, I found the ebook on Spotify. And it was just like this playlist and there was this guy reading it. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he had this voice that was just so rich and so relaxing that I was listening to. It. I was like, this might actually like, especially in the first part where it was a little bit slower. I was like, this might actually put me to sleep. Like this guy's voice is super relaxing. Um, and this was my first audiobook that I listened to ever. Um, fun fact on that one, I prefer to have the book in my hand, but whenever you're driving uh, long distances for work, you need a audiobook because it's just hard sometimes. But yeah, so I I really found it enjoyable once I got into it. Um, it was definitely something that I'm glad we read. I'm not really into horror. Horror is not my thing. Um, as, you, <laughs> as you all heard in the Cell podcast, uh, horror novels are not my thing. If it's scary, I'm going to avoid it. Um, but I thought this was really interesting. I really enjoyed the story. I think there were some points where, like, especially whenever you talk about, like, some of the weird family things that were going on kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, with the whole, you know, Elizabeth being adopted and married off, but we're going to talk about that later. So, yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. Good pick, Tori. Well, thank you. <laughs> but just before we get past this little introduction, I do want to put in another plug for an audiobook is Doug Bradley's reading. He just released his own 
um, videos of him reading this on YouTube. And if you want to talk about a smooth voice, (laughs) but he just released it a couple months ago in a few parts. He reads a little bit, you know, each video. I listened to some of it, not all of it, but I did love his reading of it. But if you don't know, Doug Bradley is pinhead on the Hellraiser movies. So if you're just like this weird horror buff and you want to reread or read Frankenstein, go listen to Doug Bradley's reading of it. It's so cute. He's like sitting in his little office at his desk and it's even raining in one of the episodes. Just mm. (laughs) (laughs) and he's got this horror memorabilia in the background. But anyways, we can go ahead. Yeah, uh, Tori, I have no idea what you're talking about with those movies, but I appreciate how excited you are about them. Hellraiser (laughs) movies? Come on, guys. (laughs) Gotta watch them. I am, just a side note, I would just like to say at this point, um, I am definitely being shamed by my husband's friends for some of the movies that I haven't seen. Um, I was a very sheltered child, guys, but (laughs) but I hadn't seen um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy whenever we talked about it in Cell, and now that I haven't seen the Hellraiser movies. in this one, I'm going to get so much flack for this. So I'm waiting for y'all. I know y'all are going to come at me. Um, sorry, but yeah. Okay, so are we ready to get into our 30-second synopsis? Synopses? <laughs> I know we've gone over some of the book okay. already. But... I, I have a 30-second timer going. Yeah, let's do it. I'm nervous. I'm so nervous. Okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I'll start when you start. Okay. Ready, set, go. Okay, so there's a man on a boat, and um, he picks up Victor Frankenstein, who's chasing a monster. Uh, The monster is one that Frankenstein created. Victor Frankenstein has daddy issues and is never good enough, so he feels like he needs to create something. He creates a monster. Monster's super ugly. Um, He screams. He runs away. He's like, ew, what did I create? Uh, runs away he gets sick um and then the monster just wants to be loved and it's just a really whole mess the monster kills a bunch of people and then they both die the end <laughs> time's up <laughs> all right jade a man in a boat going on a long journey meets up a stranger this stranger tells him an unbelievable story of how he grew up the things he's interested in and how he wanted to create life he does so and creates Frankenstein's monster. After this, he disregards the monster because he's a horrible, horrible to look at, and he ends up being a horrible person, even though he's not a person, he's a monster. Okay, so Frankenstein's life gets destroyed by this monster, and then he spends his life trying to destroy the monster who had screwed him. Okay, that was a good one. The beginning of this totally sounded like um, Without You by Eminem. Like, Two trailer park girls are around the outside, around the outside, around the outside. Like, that's immediately what I heard at the beginning. Uh, yeah. So I was like, Two trailer park okay. girls go around the outside. Over here. Like, all right. Two. Oh, I, I bet I could even do it. Like, a sailor on a boat picks up a stranger. A strange guy. A strange guy. Yes. A strange guy. <laughs> back again. Guess Monsters back. 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 Monsters back. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back. Back, back, okay. That's great. <laughs> yes. We we should make this a thing. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> I have love rap it so battles. much. We got to do karaoke in every battles. episode. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We have to do this in every episode now. Like, this is totally a thing. Jeez. Okay, Tori, your go. Okay. 
So we open the story with Walton, who is writing his sister, really telling a crazy story that a man that he just picked up on the ice told him uh, about a story that a monster told him that he had made the monster because he realizes that he had this pursuit to create life and he makes the monster but realizes that he is scary and mean and horrible and there's no good that can come of it so he runs away and forgets about him the monster is abandoned and feels neglected and learns that learns all these things but gets rejected and so then he just torns her over kills everybody is really sad <laughs> <laughs> and he is sad <laughs> the monster just has a lot of feelings okay there's a lot of lessons in this in this book, and I. Oh yeah, there's a lot. All right, want to get into some character breakdowns? All right, let's do it. Okay, so let's talk about um, Walton, who I keep wanting to call Walter. I'm not sure why. I did this in the prepod too. Like I keep calling him Walter. His name is Walton. Um, he's really a boring character. Um, he's writing letters to his sister, recounting the tale that Frankenstein has told him. Um, what he's experienced while he's out, like, in Antarctica or something like that, somewhere on the ice. Um, but really, all he does is he's a vessel for the story. Like, he's the way to get the story from point A to point B. So he's a very boring character. I mean, not a bad guy, necessarily. Um, um, he definitely gets gets this story from from Frankenstein and believes every word of it. And then he's greeted by the monster, so... He's telling the story to his sister and kind of explaining, you know, he just wants a friend. Um, he's very interested in just having a guy friend somewhere on the ship. And Victor shows up. And for a while, Victor is that friend until he ultimately passes. So that is Walton. I have to look at his name every time I say it. So don't call him Walter. So I am going to play devil's advocate for a moment. I don't mind Walton. I don't think he's great. Um... Of course, he does play a role to move the story along, but I also think that he does serve as a reflection on Victor himself. We open with Victor, or with Walton, who has this deep passion to discover something and be remembered uh, after he... He wants to change the lives of men, basically. And so he has this really deep, desire and passion to contribute to human society in a certain way that you know his his name is in lights and he's brings him fame but we then have victor who is basically like Ugh, do you share my madness are you also driven by scientific discovery that were wreak havoc on your life that that like it has mine like come on man so i i think it is as a litter it is a literary tool to Give Victor a, give Victor someone who not only he could share his story with, but also he can help this guy out because he's going to save him from, you know, scientific madness. <laughs> but ultimately, who cares? We That's don't really care a really about That's actually a really good point, Tori. I'll give you that one. I really do think point. Walton is a sociopath, and I'll tell you why. He signs each of his letters, he signs each of his letters right. differently. His first letter is signed R. Walton. And then he does... For R.W.? His next letter says Robert Walton. And then he does R.W. Okay. And then he just kind of, like, doesn't really sign them again. Okay. And then 
the books. I didn't even notice. So, anyways, he signs each letter differently, and that's what a crazy person does. Just saying. That's my that's my conspiracy theory this week. I had one about our author last week. There you go. (laughs) Character this week. I don't know if you call it a conspiracy theory, but however, whatever, whatever that is my hypothesis. I'm here for it. I love a good conspiracy theory. Okay, now we... <laughs> we need a section of, like, Jade's hypotheses. <laughs> then we're, of course, brought to our uh, protagonist, I guess. <laughs> um, Victor Frankenstein yeah. of Geneva. <laughs> of Geneva. So, he sucks. Yeah, he's not the best. He's uh-huh. I have it in our shared he's notes really quite horrible. document that he is the worst and most irresponsible scientist. <laughs> why, why would you make your monster <laughs> undefeatable? Like, if you're going to create life, right? make Seriously, it like a little, like, bro. Like, two come foot on. monster. <laughs> bro. Come on. You're going to yeah. make your first something tiny experiment your make first experiment or your first attempt you're gonna make this giant ass man like eight foot tall or seven foot tall super strong and it's so frustrating you made him and as soon as he comes to life you're like after your years and years of work that you put in you've basically ruined your health you've basically ruined your relationships and you're completely mad and you make him ugly yeah and then, as soon as he wakes up, you're like, oh, it's too ugly. <laughs> it's just yeah. like adding insult to injury. I just... <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. I love that. What an idiot. Yeah. What? I just don't understand I just have zero... I, I have zero compassion for Victor. Anyways. No. He's a shitty None. friend. Yeah, no, like, he did this to himself. He's really bad to Henry. He completely ignores his family for a while. And then he... Henry died then because makes of him. this amazing scientific anomaly. And then is just... I'm gonna abandon you for now. <laughs> I don't even care about you. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm just gonna not think about you for months. Just very irresponsible. <laughs> But I do want to point out a, an interesting part of the novel, which really stands out to me, especially because it is a romantic novel. So it's very focused on passionate emotion and feelings and, you know, working with those, acting on those. But it is pretty interesting And I guess it might go to show or or be a warning for unbridled scientific enthusiasm, maybe. But it is, at the very very beginning, Mm -hmm. he's talking about his upbringing, upbringing, and he says, I was never a superstitious child. I was never afraid of the dark. My father really didn't bring us up that way. We weren't religious. Uh, Church was just a place where you buried the dead. So he seems like he's very grounded in rational thought and even like secularism mm-hmm. instead of these emotion emotions, even though he does have this kind of obsession or dabbles in the ancient 
pre-modern scientific philosophers, but ultimately he seems very rational, which is the opposite of what the romantics are pushing. They're actually critiquing rational thought, but ultimately this beginning rational thought does lead to these outbursts of emotion connected to his desire to create and his desire to discover. So it's just interesting. It's an interesting social critique of the scientific area of life. Mm -hmm. She's saying, or Mary Shelley is saying that even if you're pushing away emotions, you know, to focus on rational thought, you still have these deep emotions within you if you're not careful and if you're not balanced you're still if you don't check yourself you're still going to end up with this very dramatic emotional state it seems like she is you know bringing it full circle full circle and trying to say even if you're trying to say rational and you don't keep yourself in check you're going to come to this irrational side of you anyways yeah tori that's a really good point and i think also like almost this warning against playing God in a way, um, because that was really kind of what Victor was trying mm-hmm. to do. Like he was trying to be a creator um, and not just like a creator of art or a creator of, you know, a structure. He was trying to be a creator of life. And I think that that's something that's really, I don't know, just this idea of creating life is I think something that we don't talk about a lot. Um, so yeah, I think that was really, That's a really good idea. I really love that theme that you went on. Right. So this critique of experimentation or discovery without natural or proper limitations. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'm going to quote Mary Shelley herself. And I think she's saying exactly what you guys are saying, but it's on page 34 of the Dover Thrift Edition. Um, Like, if the study to which you apply yourself has a tendency to weaken your affections and to destroy your taste for those simple pleasures in which no alloy can possibly mix, then that study is certainly unlawful. That is to say, not befitting the human mind. So you have to be balanced. You can't just lose yourself in the pursuit of whatever it is. So just be mindful of what you're putting your energy into. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I... I don't know if this goes in the monsters part or the Frankenstein part, though. But I think, like, he he might have been a terrible human being. He made this absolute <laughs> horrific creature, and he turned his back on it, which is also horrific. Um, but I think, like, when the monster asked him to make another one, I think he had, like, this moment of, like, humanness. Being like, oh, you're right. You do deserve somebody to love. Mm-hmm. But then I also think he's like, he's obviously super smart because whenever, whenever he was making the female monster, he was like, wait a minute, this woman or this could be woman or this monster woman, I don't know, um, like could be like, she's going to have her own mind and maybe she also hates the monster and she doesn't want to live with him. And then she will be also pissed off because nobody wants her. And so like, I shouldn't do this thing. Um, and I was like that at that moment, I was like, yeah, you, you shouldn't, yeah, but also like, 
I don't know. It was like the question I asked the first, like, as soon as I read the monster being like, I promise to hide her away. Like, and she's going to say, right. what? She's just like, going to be cool with it. Anyways, it was a, it was a good, mo- it was like the high moment of Frankenstein. He like actually like was, he applied his logic in the correct. Sequence. There you go. Uh, but yeah, we have no guarantee from this creature that he's created. Of course, you know, he's going to mold her and teach her what he wants, but we don't have a guarantee. Uh, I mean, she might be pissed that the monster brought her to life because the monster says, you got to make her awful. She's got to be ugly. (laughs) She's got to be as scary as I am. She got to be ugly. But of course, uh, why did she, she might be like, why did he even make me? She might not even like the monster. Right. Yeah. Frankenstein was all about like, well, what if these two have children and then their children run the desert? Don't give her ovaries. You're making her. Sorry. It's in your hands. That is exactly what I've always thought. You have the power. I mean, if you don't want them to make idiots, don't give them women's reproductive systems. Like, let's just put that out there. (laughs) Don't give her those parts. (laughs) Of course, we can't have. What monster could have autonomy over her own body? Of course, she's going to love the monster and live happily ever after in complete bliss and seclusion with just the monster. (laughs) I think the only way it could work is if he took her into the (laughs) desert before she started to learn anything. She could never see a human. That would be the (laughs) only way it could possibly work. If If he was the only thing she ever saw. Then maybe. But anyways. Good call, Victor. <laughs> you did one thing right. Good call. I think that's like a pretty good segue for the monster itself. Who, on one hand, wants to be loved. And like, that's sad. But on the other hand, he's also garbage. Because he lets his lack of love lead him to kill people. And like, stuff. There really are these two sides. He was dealt a horrible injustice. I mean, Victor sucks. <laughs> he could have turned completely different if he had just had the proper guidance, but he was abandoned by Victor. But really, it's like those people who grow up with really horrible parents and they're like, I- I'm going to suck too because my parents sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Preach. Preach Come on, story. you got to take risks. <laughs> responsibility at a certain point even if you're a monster and we're raised by monsters just because you're a monster doesn't mean that it's all everybody else's fault but also it's understandable that he is an abomination that has absolutely no place in the world and so he feels you know he feels like like he doesn't have a place that doesn't necessarily mean he has to go murder children or newlyweds, but also he tried to reach out to right reach out and appeal to a human or a human's good nature to help him when he genuinely genuinely needed it and is absolutely rejected mm-hmm. and tossed out. And he then does something good. He saves a small child from drowning and her father shoots him. <laughs> so even though his kid would have ground would have drowned of course the father didn't see it but you know there's no inquiry 
when you do see this monster taking hold of your child, of course, you're going to think the worst immediately. But he has been dealt some pretty crappy things. He has. But that doesn't give him a free pass, you know. (laughs) It is hard to see it developing a different way. I understand. But he's completely taken over by rage until he's like, I'm going to kill everybody. Like, I mean, he is a monster. He has to take responsibility, but damn humans. (laughs) Do better, humans. Do better. Yeah, so I think also, like, we need to talk about the fact that society has and has had this thing where, like, if you don't fit certain standards you're hideous and you don't deserve to live. Like that's legitimately like people would throw out babies if they didn't, you know, look right. Or, you know, I don't know. I just, I have a thing about it and it makes me really mad, but there's like this, if you don't meet certain standards, you're not worthy. And I think that this monster kind of exhibits that, albeit in a very um, large scale way. I think this is definitely something like something to think about. Because we live in a society of perfection. And if you aren't, if you don't meet perfection, then you're cast aside um, and you're an outcast. So, anyway, yeah, that's just my thought. But I guess I just feel like less remorse for him because, like, he tries to kidnap a child. And, like, even if you're, like, the most gorgeous human being, if you try to kidnap a child, they're going to be like, no, don't, like, stop. I, what, like, whatever, right? Like, you're terrible. Don't do this. And then, like, he's mad at the kid because he calls him a monster. When he's trying to kill, like, kidnap him, and then he ends up killing him, and he's like, oh, but it's that kid's fault for being mean to me. You tried to steal a person. No matter how pretty you are, no matter how normal you are, no kid's yeah. gonna be like, I'll, yeah. I'll just go with right. you. It's fine. No matter what they were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. give him that No matter pass. what they were wearing, no matter what they were doing, so, victim I mean, blaming he, at its like, finest. He does, like, he he probably has such a strong reaction because he's been rejected just over and over and over. So it's like the final rejection nail in the coffin. But but it's also like, well, maybe just don't steal kids. <laughs> Episode tagline. Maybe don't steal people's kids. Life lessons from bringing a ring about. So, one thing that the 1990 Robert De Niro Frankenstein film does, brings up in the movie that, that I found super interesting that the book doesn't really get into or talk about that the, that could go into, because the monster does learn how to write and, and speak in a short amount of time and so it the movie talks about is it because it's he's not really learning he's re remembering so he's just got because he's gathered these bits and pieces of humans so that's something that Mary Shelley didn't talk about herself that I found interesting it seems well what is the baseline nature of the monster himself was he just put together with all of these parts from maybe bad people? And so he had this predestined um, 
disposition because the pieces that were brought together were evil do those body parts like are they just material or do they carry some kind of imprint of their past life or energy or you know it ate innate memories themselves that cause him you know to turn out the way he does well and we always have this concept of frankenstein as someone who is put together from like a murderer's parts like and i think that's just because like that's what the horror genre has told us in movies um that they like robbed a the grave of a convict but i don't know that's really fascinating i really do love that Anyway, that was a little bit of a sidestep. I think we can move on if we're ready. Takes us to Sweet Elizabeth, his cousin slash adopted cousin slash wife. They've got such a weird relationship. It's weird. Like, there's a whole lot of mess going on. <laughs> a little weird. Um, so basically, Elizabeth is this little girl. We talked about this in the pre-pod. But, but is Elizabeth it weirder is- that if she is his cousin, so they know they've known each other forever, and they're just like, "Hey," <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but what is the change I mean, that happened? She was stolen as a child. I mean, I mean it's adopted, not but- a, a huge amount of time between the first edition and the re-release for them to be like, "Let's put on another version of this book and make her not his cousin." <laughs> so. No, it so, wasn't. I don't maybe know. poor decision to write <laughs> that, Shelley. Do not tell children to marry their cousins. Yeah, let's let's not have a bunch of incest going on over here. Um, but yeah, Elizabeth <laughs> is adopted. A very yeah, she's a very interesting character. But I think also just the fact that like she's in a really weird situation where like she was a nobleman or a wealthy man's daughter who he fell out of grace and left her with this family. And then she was told, like, again, it goes back to this whole idea of, like, women had to marry to increase their family's stature. Um, Like, I don't know. I just kind of, it didn't sit right with me Um, that she was basically just groomed up from this young age to marry Victor. Like, that feels really, really messed up to me. Right. Well, I mean, arranged marriages are a thing, but if she's adopted, it is a little... hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's a whole hot mess. It's a whole hot mess. Everything's horrible. Then it just keeps getting more horrible. Anyway, ultimately Elizabeth dies on their wedding night. (laughs) Yeah. Which, dude, what an idiot. He is an idiot. He's like, I'm gonna be with you on your wedding night. And Frankenstein's just like, mm, okay, I'm gonna get married anyway. And he's gonna leave her <laughs> alone is. on the wedding night. Oh my night gracious, when he gets yes. Married. Like, come on. Yeah, right. He leaves her alone. Jeez, ridiculous. I don't get it. As someone who was just married, if anybody said they were gonna hunt me down my wedding night, like, I'd be like, no, thank you. Like, that's just a real strange. Um, but we're not gonna go there. So she definitely gets the horrible part of the horrible end of the deal first she has to deal with victor getting sick over and over again first he shuts himself off up at college (laughs) and then he's distraught super emotional but he doesn't ever give her any answers so she just has to be okay with him being like it's just horrible and he's crazy yeah i would not be that calm about the situation dude i she could but she I, i she just is like i love you i don't understand but i don't know she continues to be 
well, cool with like, him it's not like she even after do something for herself either. he's put her through so much and then she dies mm-hmm. and dead and then she dies it's like stockholm syndrome and then she dies which i think is a nice switch to henry clerval who is also dead also dead another good person who victor just jeez another good person that is completely caught in the detrimental affairs of Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. Henry Clerval, like, puts his own studies aside, right? Like, his education aside to go, yeah. like, help Frankenstein heal after he creates his monster. And then, like, Nurses him back he goes home. with him. Yeah. <laughs> they go on their little trip together, and Frankenstein's like, no, I don't want to be around you. And Henry's literally just like, well, come back as soon as you can because I don't want to be around strangers. And then, dead. Everybody dies because of Victor. Dead. Henry is legitimately the best friend ever. Victor probably just disclosed everything to Henry and his in his fever raving. So mm-hmm. Henry's probably like, mm-hmm. you're crazy. And he still decides to go on a cross-country trip with him. It was like the ultimate bachelor's party. Henry is legitimately like the True. Samwise Gamgee of this story. Like, he really is. He's like, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to carry you because you can't do it yourself. He is the best character in all of this. And he dies. It's so maddening. Complete side note, um, Tori and I actually met Sean Astin, the guy who plays Samwise Gamgee, Samwise Gamgee, um, because we stalked him across campus. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, so basically wherever Victor goes, tragedy follows. <laughs> Victor is a very bad omen for all of his friends. Speaking of people who die for absolutely no reason, Let's talk about Justine for a second. So, Justine, 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 Justine. Anywho, she's a housekeeper. Um, she's kind of the glue that holds everything together. And whenever William dies, so uh, Frankenstein's brother, whenever William dies um, and is killed by the monster, they blame Justine. They blame the housekeeper, because who else are you going to blame? There's a random woman here. Let's blame her. Um, So, yeah, Justine is put to death um, as a murderer, even though she totally isn't. Um, So, yeah, she's basically just like, at that point, you're going, okay, we're we're on a downward spiral because Justine has died. (laughs) Also dead. She's also dead. (laughs) So I would... I went a different direction. I thought of Christine. Christine. Oh, yeah, Tori, that's a good one. Christine. Either of those would work. You can sing either of those, and it's a good time. I'm just going to be singing, like, a combination of Phantom and Jolene now. Like, it's fine. Everything's fine. All right. I think that has wrapped up our character discussion. Unless anybody has anything else. nope that's it let's move on this has been such a singing episode like we've legitimately like sang eminem dolly parton 
uh, Phantom of the Opera, like we have saying all of these things. So Eminem, Dolly Parton, and uh, Phantom of the Opera, if you would like to send us a donation for featuring your music, um, but Andrew Lloyd Webber, if you'd like to send us a donation, that would be awesome. Anyway, okay, so let's talk about, like, inner ideas to discuss. So the hijacking of Frankenstein, going from a maybe slightly empathetical character. I mean, maybe we don't have sympathy, but relatable-ish. Like, he's down and out and mistreated and to this big green monster with bolts in his neck. That's immediately what we think of with the jagged scar across the forehead. He's got bolts in his neck, like he's green. And we have this idea, and like even the book, Mary Shelley describes his skin as yellow. I'm immediately when I write here Frankenstein, my brain goes to two places. It goes to uh, Young Frankenstein, the movie with Gene Wilder in it that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and you have this idea of the monster from that. But then also you have the idea of like the classic horror Frankenstein. My brain doesn't automatically go there because, like, I don't watch horror movies. Um, but then I also think of Herman Munster um, as just, like, that this big, towering, like, a very square-shouldered uh, creature. Um, super tall type of thing. But, yeah, I think that that's just... It's really interesting that people took something, this monster who was frightening, but people took this description and just went to town to make this this crazy, crazy creation. And... Like I said a little bit before, um, there's also this idea that wasn't taken from Shelley at all of, like, taking this murderer's brain and, like, swapping a normal brain with an abnormal brain, um, or abnormal to, to quote young Frankenstein, um, but swapping his brain with that of a killer, and that's why he is the way he is. Um, and it's not really anything that Shelley talks about, but it's just a really interesting point. Yeah, it would be nice to get Shelley's own perspective on that or her thought process when she on that because that's a point that is easily skimmed over, but it definitely could have some depth. It is interesting that especially if you aren't ver- versed in horror or classic romantic literature, you probably equate Frankenstein with a monster. When you say Frankenstein, you don't necessarily think of this Swiss man who created this crazy abomination. You think of this big green Halloween character. And you have this Igor character, assistant, which never materializes in the book. And when you think of the Frankenstein story, you have this mad scientist who's flipping electrical switches and and has this giant green monster on his table and his hunchback sidekick. So, yeah, the the characterization it definitely got distorted or hijacked, for lack of a better term. And so I think it's, of course, incredibly entertaining <laughs> uh, with all those inner with all those movies and depictions of Frankenstein's monster. But of course, I think it's a, important to realize the roots of the story and how in depth it does goes or does go. Okay, so 
there's definitely this theme in Frankenstein where Victor is not satisfied with his life as the way it is. He's not sat- or satisfied with his abilities. He feels like he can do something else. And really, he's he's kind of playing God in this moment. It definitely seems that Victor has cheated or gone against the laws nature uh, laws of nature and so he's being punished you know no one else can can be god but god or whatever that may be but so it, it seems like he's getting getting what's coming to him <laughs> as the monster wreaks havoc on his life and takes you know everyone from him he's pretty much gone against the natural order of things and reanimated and created and re- created and reanimated a figure that was never meant to have life he's taking on this responsibility of creating life in some way independent of a biological creation of life he's doing it scientifically um where he it's literally his creation nobody else it's his and I mean, even in this moment, the monster compares himself to Adam as as the first man who needed a mate. Um, if you're talking like the biblical story in Genesis where um, Adam is alone and says that he needs a mate of some sort. And you can definitely see how, how Frankenstein believes that he can create life. He does so. And then... He has to deal with the consequences of that. So, and by that, I mean, like, everyone around him starts dying. Um, Everyone around him, like, bad things are happening to all the people that he loves because he tried to dabble in this creation of life. And I think that definitely says a lot for the time that this was written, um, in the space that this was written, where it's a caution from Shelley of, you know, kind of like Troy was saying earlier, this concept of unbridled scientific discovery where you're not holding anything back you're just going at it with leaps and bounds and there are consequences to that there are consequences to those actions and we see it very clearly with victor and it's very much on the nose of like you played around you tried to play god you tried to create life it's going to come back to bite you you know you ultimately can't play god the number one theme i think of this book what shelly wants to the narrative she wants to push especially you know, science has developed these, is developing in leaps and bounds at this time. And so this romantic idea is pushing back against the progress of, or scientific progress of the modern world. And so just making sure that we are abiding by the natural order of things, you know, we've been given a way to create and that's our limitation. Or maybe she's saying that God thinks, should think we're horrible. He was like, ugly oh, creatures. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why God left Earth. That's actually a really Never good mind. point, Jane. I'm leaving. Now Sorry. I feel really insecure. Yeah, he's like, people, humans, they're disgusting. I don't want to see them. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure I did read quite a bit on Mary Shelley herself and I'm pretty sure she had had a miscarriage before writing this so also it could be 
that she's talking about or recounting a horrible birth. This could be her way of coping, maybe, with that loss, that that horrible loss. She felt like she had gone through this birth that did not end in life, and so maybe she's spinning that in a way that there is this birth that doesn't ultimately end in life. Yeah. Like we expect. That's a really, oh my goodness, that just gave me chills, Tori. That's a really, really good point. Oh, man. Now I want to ask Mary Shelley all the questions. But yeah, I mean, especially because that was something that wasn't really talked, I mean, it's still not talked about. Miscarriage is something that we don't discuss in our society really at all. Um, And there's only now like a shift, especially on Instagram, there's a shift to talk about miscarriage stories. I mean, Mary Shelley was ahead of her time by leaps and bounds. Um, I think that's really fascinating, like talking about just like her psyche at the time of writing this, like where she was at mentally and emotionally dealing with that loss. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Oh, and also she was married as a child. (laughs) I don't know. Oh my gosh, yes. Could be a (gasps) part of the themes. But of course, it's something that we can, that's reducing it down a little bit too much. I think this book has, book has too many prominent themes and social critiques. I don't think that we should just look at it as Mary Shelley's coping or retelling her life with a spin because she is a very intelligent woman who critiques modern, modernism and, and scientific discovery at the time or uh, scientific pursuit so I think it's another way of reading it but I don't think we should reduce it to just that it's just another way another interesting yeah no she writes about Elizabeth being this or Frankenstein's mother being a child bride and then like this whole weird betrothal to Elizabeth plus her being a child bride herself there's a whole lot of weirdness going on last things last before our favorite quote we have the modern Prometheus Yeah, so this is the tagline of Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein, the Modern Prometheus. And I just wanted to bring this up because I'm, I don't really know why it's called that. (laughs) I, Prometheus was this Greek mythology character, this titan that is very mischievous and steals fire from the gods to give to the humans that I think, I guess the reason it would be called modern modern Prometheus is because he is one who is credited with created, created, who created forms out of clay, who is also cast away for the atrocities that he has created or the horrible things he's done against the gods. So I guess we could say Victor is is the modern Prometheus, Prometheus because he made life and then was cast out. I mean, I would I would say that's probably it. Yeah, yeah I would think so. I figured that's she that she was calling Frankenstein the modern Prometheus Prometheus just because his irresponsibility in with his creation. It's really interesting because I can't remember which origin story it was, but in like the introduction to American religions, there's a, um, there's a belief that the first person who was modeled out of clay was done by a drunkard. Like the person who had molded them was drunk and they created like a horrendous figure. 
And then um, he was kind of, like, shunned for it. And he, like, couldn't make life again. Or, like, he had to make, like, a new set because his first try was just terrible. Um, so it's interesting to see how that plays also into Frankenstein because his first monster is, and only monster, is terrible. <laughs> well, it was an African tribe. Yeah, it was It was an origin story. That Right. Shout out to um, our professor that we GA'd for. So. so it was an origin story from this African tribe that a one of the gods came down on a cord, I believe, came down to earth and he was all drunk and found some mud and clay and put it all together and made these characters or humans, I guess you would call them. And they were just horrid and disfigured, just bad. And so the other gods cast out, you know, they chucked him out of heaven or whatever or wherever they're from chucked him out of the clouds <laughs> the modern prometheus or religion origin stories or frankenstein by mary shelley and with that do we want to wrap up with our favorite quote from the book let's do it let's do it tori since it's your book of choice would you like to lead us off with your favorite quote sure i can do that so my, it, my favorite quote is near the beginning of, of Frankenstein's story when he is first creating his monster um, or researching rather how he's going to do this. He's looking forward to animating his creation and In chapter 4, he says, No father could claim the gratitude of his child so completely as I should deserve theirs. Pursuing these reflections, I thought that if I could bestow animation upon lifeless matter, I might in process of time, although I now found it impossible to renew life where death had apparently devoted the body to corruption. So this is his initial hopes and dreams for his future with his creation with it's it's that basically he could cheat death death which we've all experienced loss in our life and victor is not he also has experienced loss you know and he's got this very human desire to overcome death and maybe never lose a loved one again like he has his mother. But the reason I chose this part is basically because he's saying no father could, fatherhood or father could be as proud of his child than I will be of my creation because, of course, that father didn't necessarily create it. You know, we've all heard the... The saying, you know, men couldn't understand creating a life as the woman, you know, carries the child and ultimately gives birth through her body. And so he's bypassing the feminine aspects of creation. So that's what you get, Victor. That's what you get. (laughs) That's what you get. You can't, you cannot have... You've got to have 
it could be a very feminist reading of this book. This book could champion women's reproductive rights or whatever. Because he's like, of course you're going to get these horrible consequences if you take the woman out of creating life. <laughs> you take the women out of it, the monster you create kills everybody. I'm just saying. Okay, so my favorite quote um, is while Frankenstein is also working on his uh, monster, working on this creation. And I don't remember what chapter it's from, but it was, um, here's a quote. The summer months passed while I was thus engaged, heart and soul, in one pursuit. It was the most beautiful season. Never did the fields bestow a more plentiful harvest, or the vines yield a more luxuriant vintage. But my eyes were insensible to the charms of nature. I really love that one. I think it's really easy for us to get wrapped up into things. Like, it's in human nature to get very wrapped up in what we're doing and what we're working on. So much so that to the point that we forget to look around us and see the beauty that is all around us. Um, so yeah, just, I really like that quote. I think that's a great tie-in with mine, so I'm going to continue it. Mine is on page 121 of the Dover Thrift Edition, which is a little different than the original. Um, but I put, it's when Frankenstein is reflecting on why he shouldn't create the woman. Um, he says, they might even hate each other. The creature who already lived loathed his own deformity, and might he not conceive a greater arborance for when it when it came before his eyes in the female form? So, like, essentially he's saying, like, he already hates his own, like, how he looks. So, like, if he has a female who's as ugly as he is, wouldn't he hate her too? Yeah, Victor worries that his infatuation with humans would just come back because, of course, the monster or the the woman wouldn't be able to fulfill his desire. The monster has. And, and like, when it mentions, like, his, his, like, disdain for his own reflection and it reflecting in how he deals with others, right. I was like, that's human. Um, <laughs> so... I just keep thinking of Patrick. Well, maybe it's because you're ugly. <laughs> I mean, fair. Uh, anyways, gotta love yourself. Super sad. I think also, like, you think about, like, this story led into stories like Phantom of the Opera, um, where you have, like, this disfigured uh, main character who's, like, constantly searching after beauty and constantly, like, going after that perfection um, that he doesn't physically have. I'm a huge fan of the opera nerd. Like, that's just my thing. But stories like that, like Phantom of the Opera and Elephant Man, like Hunchback of Notre Dame, all of these stories, which ironically are all French stories, but that's beside the point. So yeah, I think it's just like a really interesting thing about our society to say that those stories have gone so far. Yeah, definitely sad. Sad. Don't judge people on the way they look. It's mean. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Life motto. Just don't be a jerk. And like, if you're ever feeling sad about your life, just remember, Frankenstein's monster would probably think that you're beautiful. Or he would if he was looking through a hole in your wall. And you can, <laughs> you can sleep with that thought tonight. All right. Um, so with that, 
I think that wraps up our discussion on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. This was a fun one. I appreciate you both plugging through this and putting up with my picks. And thank you, <laughs> listeners, for tuning in to our probably long discussion we've been getting into. But yeah, interact with us. Tell us what you think. If you have other thoughts on Frankenstein or Mary Shelley or romantics, uh, you know, reach out to us. We have our Gmail reading back podcast at gmail.com or our social media platforms instagram is probably the best one to uh get a hold of us on but email is yes. the best um but instagram us just search bringing reading back podcast and you'll find us please rate like share subscribe listen all those all that good stuff wherever you find your podcast episodes and what are we talking about next episode? Okay, so our next book is going to be uh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Um, we're going to jump back into this kind of almost post-apocalyptic uh, book, um, this post-apocalyptic world. There's a big disease that kills a bunch of people, and like the world kind of just stops and, and things rehash. Um, so it's definitely a really interesting one. It's got theater in it. It's got um, airports, it's got some really crazy religious people in it, um, some fringe groups in there as well. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, it's very interesting, it's got comic books in it too. Uh, but tune in next week whenever we cover Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. If you enjoyed this podcast, um, let us know. Let us know that you, you know, thought we were great, that you loved us. If you didn't like this podcast, um, tell us you love us anyways. Do it anyway. Let it give us give us a five star review, even if you didn't love this podcast. Um, no, but seriously, if you didn't like it, please feel free to send us tips and feedback. Um, we always want to hear what you all think, and we always want to find ways to get better. But also, please send us five star reviews. <sighs> please don't leave us mean comments. Put a mean comment. I don't care. What is it? Any attention is good attention. What is that from? Yeah, Any publicity, like in the media. Is good publicity, publicity is good that's publicity. it. Yeah, just keep saying names and like we can get more views. <laughs> yeah, any publicity. I don't care. Call me something. Do it. I dare you. I dare you. Anyways, yep, that wraps up our episode and tune in next time. BRB for now. BRB. BRB.